There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast, episode 36. Thank you so much for checking out another one. I'm very, very stoked to be with you here. As always, I'm your host, your producer, the dude who gets guests and uh, writes stupid things on our social media pages. It is your host, Anthony Merchant, here with you. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the support from everybody. And uh, I, I've been having fun, you know, during during this. I mean, I've been doing the show for a couple years now, but... Uh, you know, during during the whole pandemic shit, you know, when you're when you're sitting around and you're a little bored or you're like, what should I do with my time? It has been great to have this and uh, really fun to have the social media aspect of it. You know, it's something it's really not new at this point. But, you know, it, it, you think like years ago, like it's not really social media wasn't a thing that would go. Then again, podcasts weren't a thing years ago. So uh, but, you know, even from like the radio aspect of it, like, you know, doing doing the radio show now for a couple years, it's like, you know. 20 years ago, there really wasn't that aspect of it. You know what I mean? Where you would be like, you'd be on air and you kind of made, you know, you'd talk to people like listening and stuff on there, obviously, if they call in and, uh, you know, however other ways, um, you know, like remotes, when you go host like a remote, maybe people show up and stuff. But with social media, it's nice because it's a new way and another way to like promote the show and get the word out. But like then then you meet people who, you know, listen to the show or hell. I mean, I'm sure there's people who follow us on uh on social media who've never even listened to the show. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some of that as well. But uh, it's very rad you just start bullshitting with people who, uh, you know, including with something like this, who uh, you start finding those people who are into music just as much as you are, who would be into something like a show like this, where I just go so in-depth into, uh, you know, music most of the time that I don't feel like, uh, you know, you really hear about other a whole lot of other places. Um, there are some other great, like, punk and alternative podcasts out there but, you know, like mainstream wise or like commercial radio or like on bigger podcasts and shit, um, you know, probably stuff you won't hear on there or, uh, you know, artists that they talk about. And, uh, yeah, it's just really cool to have, you know, social media to just bullshit with people who, you know, find the show or just like I said, find you on social media, have no clue what the hell the power cord hour is. And, uh, you know, just just see that there's a dude on there posting things about bands that they like as well. But uh, has been tons of fun in a great way, you know. While uh, while everything's going on and you can't really go out and socialize much, it's a uh, great way to just go on there and just talk about music with people. And I also get jealous of people's collections. There, there's a dude right now. I uh, cannot remember his name off the top of my head. So sorry, I can't cannot give a shout out. But I cannot remember his handle. But uh, he's just been showing me like stuff in his collection of just like you know things you get at, at live shows like picks, set lists you know, like drumsticks, just all that, all that random stuff that, uh, you know, is funny because it's kind of worthless if you're not the person who got it, but it means everything to you if you have it. Like, like, I, and I know, and I know like when he's showing me that stuff, like I'm getting a kick out of it and I know what he means. Cause I mean, I have things, I have like towels, you know, that like, you know, the singer of a band had on stage and then like, you know, threw off or at the end of the show is just like sitting there and you take it and it's like, it's just an old ratty towel to anybody else. But like to you, you know, you have that whole story behind it and it becomes it's funny because that stuff to me is worth more than what you can get at like the merch booth. Like, you know, $20 T-shirts cool. But what's even cooler is if you end up getting that set list 
and you know like get like a signed set list or like a broken drumstick or something you know like something like that becomes way more uh you know, way more memorable, I think. And something, like, I hold on to those more, too. Like, even though they're free things, like, I don't I don't throw away set lists and picks and stuff. Whereas with T-shirts, not I throw away T-shirts, but, you know, they end up on eBay eventually or you donate them. You know, not all of them, but if you're cleaning, you know, if I'm cleaning out stuff from my collection, and as I do, I do like to downsize. I like to keep things fairly minimal. And, uh, you know, the almost anything's fair game eventually if I go like why do I still have this except for that stuff you know like like those really just a sentimental value to them where it's like you know I'll I'll get rid of this this and this but I will not get rid of that uh that half broken drumstick that'll give you a splinter if you pick it up but uh you know very very fun on social media lately and uh, really this past year just uh talking to like-minded people about that stuff and uh you know on top of that too the email you know I, I always throw it up here but uh you know it's no secret you can find me powercordhour at gmail.com but uh you ever just want to bullshit about music or whatever i love hearing you know from listeners and uh all that you know just talking about music and stuff like that it, it's fun we're all kind of stuck in the uh, house and whatnot and we're bored and uh you know it's it's a good time to show each other your pick collection and uh, your set list and stuff, and also talk about the stupid, stupid things that you've uh, done at concerts, because uh, we all have those, and we're not going to share them on podcasts, but we have tons of dumbass things that we've done, and we can uh, we can all share them privately, and uh, maybe one maybe one day that will be a that'll be an episode, but like I'll have to get like get some friends on here and just like share dumbass stories, embarrassing stories of uh you know concert concert goers because you, you do get them after a while and uh you know just embarrassing or funny or whatever there there's always that that's the thing i miss about shows too is like you know like with virtual shows right now is yes you're seeing live music i mean in a in a different capacity and everything but it's like you don't you don't get those like opportunities to like meet people whether that those be friends or just random idiots in the crowd who just you know you end up having some funny interaction with and uh you know it just and and just everything around it too like uh like like really for me I I, I talked about you know like with uh last week with Nick from High on Stress and talking about all the great venues in Minneapolis and there there are just so many but, uh, you know, going from a place like that where just, you know, you just go to a show any night, it's like, oh, yeah, like I can just go to the show 10 minutes from my apartment and like and then I'll be back by 11 or whatever. And then I go to work the next day and it's like all beautiful where as, uh, you know, growing up and even currently because I'm uh, I'm in Jamestown right now recording this. Um, well, and I guess I'm not going to shows right now, so I don't know that I can say currently in that sense. But, you know, like growing up going to shows in like this area, in the Jamestown area, you know, shit doesn't come around here. So if you want to go to a show, um, I mean, unless you're talking to like something local, but if I want to go see like a band that I really like who's touring, um, you got to go, you know, you you really got to plan your day around it. Because I, I would have to drive like two hours, you know, one way to go see it. So really you're in the car like four hours you know, just to go see a band. And then on top of that, it's like driving back at night, you know, leaving school or leaving work early and, uh, you know, all that. And I'm not complaining too much because it actually, in the end, is a lot of fun, including like in college, I had a lot of fun doing that. Like there's just so many, there's people that I met, there's things that I did, there's things that I saw that like never would have happened had had I lived in a place. I guess this is the silver lining that I kind of look back on that on and uh, and never really minded because like I said it it is fun it becomes an adventure. 
but uh, also becomes more limiting. You're not going. I still went to quite a few shows, but not not to the point that you uh, probably would. You know, if you lived in a city, and once again, you know, these shows were ten minutes from you every night. I mean, hell, you could go to you know five shows a week. But uh, make no mistake, I still saw tons. But uh, you know, just just the whole thing of like, all right, well, I got to leave work early, or I got to leave school. Like, what time do I leave by? You know, what time will that get me there? And then it's like, you know, but then it would always be fun because then it's like, okay, well, if it's a day, you know, where like I'll have some time, it's like, okay, like what are the record stores? You know, what are, including, uh, I I think my go-to move for the longest time for years, really for years, shout out, shout out to JT Woodruff from uh, the lead singer of Hawthorne Heights. He would be like my go-to guy. Like anytime I was going to a new city, to uh, see a show, and I knew I had some time to kill. A record, like record stores, are my number one thing, and they still are. But good record stores, good guitar store, and uh, some good vegan food. Those are like my three things. And uh, JT didn't really help on the vegan stuff. I, I'm, br- I'm pretty sure I remember him talking shit on me eating a veggie dog once in his presence. So uh, he, he he doesn't direct me to uh, to the vegan food. But as far as like record stores and good guitar shops go, for years that was my thing. Would just hit him up. It's like, hey dude, like I'm going I'm going to Columbus this this week. Like I've never been to Columbus. Where do I go? And he's like, all right, like you hit up this place, this place, and this place, and never never failed. Like the dude knew what I was looking for, so it's like he was always good for that. He's like, no, nah, this is the record store you want. Don't go to this one. This one's shitty and overpriced. You're gonna want this one. Like if you're looking for like weird old punk music, you want to go to this one. And uh, you know, and, and it really did. It made it it made it so fun to be to be like, okay, like sure, I have to drive to like Cleveland to see a show, but it's like celebrate that. Celebrate the fact that I'm in Cleveland and if I got an hour or two to spare, like what cool shit should I go do? You know? And just tons of my stories and and stuff that uh that I've just had in my life that would not have had if I always lived in a place like Minneapolis where, you know, I could just drive ten minutes to a show. And once again, very beautiful. I gotta say, like just because I'm not used to that, it is a beautiful thing to like get out of work at like three or four in the afternoon and then be like, oh, I'm going to a show later, but that show's not for like five hours and it's only like a 10 minute drive. So it's like, you can go run errands, you can go do other things, you you have like all this time and then you go to a show and then you don't have a two hour drive back. That's the other thing, it's like, I gotta be at work in the morning, but it's like, oh, I, I'll be home in 10 minutes. It, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful thing, but I also feel like uh, I don't have as many fun stories is that as I as I do from the ones where it's like yeah I drove like three hours and then I you know then I went to this record store and then I ended up in this part of town and then I ended up here and then up there and then I went to the show and like I ran into this person there and you know like like stuff like that that you uh, you just get from traveling around going to those shows and stuff but uh, that that is that is something I miss I just miss live shows in general. But uh, that that's that's the one nice thing, and I would like to hear about that too, because like I know I'm not I'm not the only one there. Like people, basically, if you love live music or bands and you don't live in a metropolitan area, like that, like I'm far from the only person who's had to drive hours for shows. But it's like I always, and actually, kind of going back to JT for a second. I mean, that dude grew up in uh, I think it's St. Mary's, West Virginia. And uh, I've had those talks with him before. I mean, he he came from a place where there weren't shows where he was. If he wanted to go to a show, that dude drove. Like he grew. He, I, if I'm not mistaken, he kind of grew up the same way I did with that. Where it's like, if you know, if no use for a name or someone, 
And I use that because I think he has seen them. That, that, that dude's seen some ones that I've been jealous of. But it's like, you know, if no use for a name is playing around you, they're not playing in your town. They're playing like three hours from you. But if you want to see that show, God damn it, you're going to drive three hours. Like, and you, and you know what I mean? Like, and it's normally the gratification is great. Like, I really, I got to say, I mean, I've, I've been to some shows that were stinkeroos in my life. But, like, I don't know. I really haven't been to many shows. I can probably count on one hand the amount of shows that I've been to where afterwards I was like, I wish I didn't drive, you know, two hours to see this band. I very, very rarely have I had that because there's always just all this fun shit attached to it, you know. I uh, I, I still, the best show I ever went to, house the, a house show in a suburb of Pittsburgh to see Tommy Stinson back in 2016, just this awesome house show and like, it's still the best show I ever saw. Now, don't get me wrong. Their place is my favorite band. I got to see one of them literally play a living room like 10 feet in front of me playing like every song I wanted to hear and whatnot. But that was just one part of the night. Like that's my favorite show ever because there's like five or six hours worth of other things that went on that had nothing to do with the show itself. And, uh, you know, once again, just things that you you wouldn't have gotten. I made tons of friends that night, too. And uh, people who I'm still, who I still talk to and still connected with. And, uh, you know, just just like things that I wouldn't have had had I just went to a show in the city that I lived with friends that I knew. You know, like I went to a show in, I don't remember where it was. It, it was like 20 minutes out of Pittsburgh, you know, not not far or anything like that. But a suburb I'd never been to. I know who, you know, I know anyone there. But guess what? You, you leave at the end of the night and you go, oh, shit, I just met like five people. And, uh, you know, that's that's where you start making those memories. But, uh, yeah, I, I love talking about that stuff. But, you know, if you're one of those people, I'd love to hear from you. Like I said, bullshitting with people, you know, hit me up. And uh, if you kind of come from like a smaller area or just a place, you know, the other thing, maybe you just live in a in a I believe what they call like a B market. And, uh, you know, bands just don't play around you all that often. So if you wanted to see the good shows, you know, anything good, you had to go to like the next city next to you. But uh, I'd love to hear that stuff. And, uh, you know, if you appreciate that as well, because and I grew up with that. So it's like it never it never bothered me to go there. I mean, it sucked when you're like, oh, man, I'd like to see these three shows, but they're all like back to back in Cleveland. And it's like, well, that's just not going to you can't do that. But, uh, you know, the flip side of that, though, like I said, it's just it's so much more of an adventure than just this one small part of your day. And I know that because, like, you know, living in Minneapolis, it is just a part of your day. It You don't have to plan around it. Like, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll get out of work. I'll go get dinner. I'll go hang out with a friend. I'll go work on this and that. And then it's like, I'll just go to the show later on. Like, so easy. Like, just one part of your day. Whereas, you know, before, it's like, no, nah, you got to carve time out. Like, how long is it going to take me to get there? But uh, yeah, you know, I'd I'd love to hear from you if uh, you know if you kind of have that same thing. And maybe you're the same thing right now. I'm saying it past tense. Fuck, maybe you live somewhere right now where you still got to do that. You know, it's uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But it's worth it when you want to go see uh, some good ass live music. But that is not what this episode is about. So uh, I will I'll get off that topic. Really, what I wanted to talk about on this one, and if you haven't figured out, 15 minutes in, there is no guest. It is uh, just me and you here. But I was really excited because just these uh, past few weeks, I have finally watched a trilogy of documentaries that I've wanted to see now, I would say probably close to 15 years. And that is the decline of Western civilization. I mean, talk about a cult classic there. There are three of them. And for years, this thing, 
I when I when I was younger, I really loved on a VH1 and VH1 Classic. All their like they're like I don't even know if you call them documentaries, but like the little music docs and little like hour long, you know, specials and stuff and behind the music and all those different things where they would go on about, you know, like like the 80s and hair metal or one would be about college rock or, you know, would be about punk in the 70s and stuff. And uh, the first thing that I remember about the decline of Western civilization would have been one of those VH1 ones about, you know, the Sunset Strip and hair metal and just all all of that, all basically what metal was, the popular side of metal in the uh, 80s. And there was a lot of footage from the interviews from the decline of Western civilization, part two, the metal years. And uh, I mean, the, the Chris Holmes interview, the uh, the old guitarist of Wasp, I mean, that was probably the first one I ever saw. And I mean, if you if you know the film, you know what I'm talking about already. I mean, it's quite iconic. I mean, this is all shit you can YouTube as well and uh, and definitely see. And I highly recommend, I mean, before, before we get in, I mean, already I can tell you, I, I highly recommend all three of these. But uh, I mean, it, it is funny. Number two is probably the most interesting. Number one has the best music. But number two is interesting. And I, I kind of, I'm going to get into this and kind of compare them. And, uh, you know, they compare and contrast and whatnot. But, you know, my, my first exposure was the footage from the Metal Years, the second one. I mean, which to me, when you're watching those, you know, I I am, while, while my first love is like punk and alternative and all that, I don't mind hair metal. Like, I like, I'm more of a hits guy. I like the hits of hair metal. There's really no band from that era that I would say I, like, dwell really deep into. But, I mean, if we're just talking singles and radio hits... And all that, like all those bands are good with me. Like I, you know, your Poisons, your Def Leppards, your Motley Crues, um, you know, I mean, all that stuff. Your Wingers, like I don't care. Like the the hits are fine. Like they're 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 good. But I've also always been very uh, interested in that time because that was really one of the last eras, I think, of that just the debauchery, the you know degeneracy and just every everything surrounding it you know it was a very interesting time you know for for a lot of it you know that had nothing to do with music but you know at the same time too to kind of plays devil's advocate you know we could probably also say that about the punk bands in uh the first decline you know and the third one you know with uh just talking about things things that aren't about music you know going past the music and getting into the other things where it's like you know well, isn't it all about the music? And it's like, well, you know, there there are other aspects to it. And I've just always been like, not even that I romanticize it. There's a lot of criticisms of the hair metal, you know, era. And sure, that that's uh, that's fair, you know. And I, but I really do. I think that was one of those last. Including when you see grunge, and you know, and I'm I'm not like saying anything here that hasn't been you know talked through music history hundreds of times. But you know, kind of the the anti-rock star, the the not so much part, like that's the other thing too, is like you had hair metal where they're all like drinking and doing coke and stuff and like it's a party and it's kind of more social. And then there's the more inward, you know,ness of of grunge and they're all like, you know, they're doing heroin and stuff and they're all kind of like, it's all insular, it's not really a party, it's not, it's not really the social thing. And, uh, you know, it's also kind of more serious. And, uh, you know, as, and as far as and then as far as music goes, you know, a lot of that grunge stuff is a lot better, in my opinion. There is more there is more value there. There is more than just, hey, it's just one big party. But with that said, I don't like the criticisms that hair metal gets sometimes because, you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with having a genre 
where it is just kind of fun like that. Like I don't put on poison as, you know, I don't, I don't think like poison ever wrote like a thinking man's record. Like that's not really something I, I would put on, you know, to get me through something or to feel a certain way. It's fun music. And that serves a purpose. You know, that serves a time and place. Like not every song has to be a downer. Not every song has to be, like, there's a time and place for everything. Like, like there's good political songs, but not every song has to be political. You know, there's and same with there's good party songs. Never, not every song has to be about a party though. And uh, you know, I mean, hair metal was very much, I think, ingrained in uh, you know the the party and uh, and all of that. You know, obviously we had the ballads and stuff too, because every bad boy does have a, have a soft side. <laughs> but uh, you know. Like there was that side of it, but it is, it's very much a big party. And, uh, you know, I think one of the best things that the client of Western civilization does for all three of them, but really encapsulates that time and place. And I mean, you know, for the metal years, you watch that. And I mean, the, the just excessiveness, the over the top with everything, the, uh, and also kind of the, the overconfidence or the blind confidence or the, the stupid confidence, whatever you want to call it that, uh, you know, a lot of them did possess in uh, that film. But I mean, like, I, I think really what uh, Penelope Spheris did, who, uh, you know, who directed all those, and she also she also directed Wayne's World. It's probably like her biggest thing. But I mean, The Decline, I mean, just huge cult classic, you know, music docs. But, uh, you know, I think what she what she really did was just document that for like, like that was all gone. Like I was born in 92. Like I, I was not there for hair metal you know, it was dying as I was being born, basically. Like, as I was coming out of the womb, it was going into the grave, if you if you will. And uh, and that's a whole other episode, because people talk about that with, like, grunge and, and grunge killing it and this and that. But it's like, are we just going to ignore that music trends change, like, every couple years? Like, if it wasn't grunge, it would be something else. Like, shit just changes. Like... Polka music could have been the next big thing. Three, in 1991, polka music could have killed fucking hair metal if that's what ended up being big on the radio. Like, it's just, it just so happens that that's what got popular. And, uh, you know, and the other argument, too, in my opinion, I've always thought this way. I go, if everybody drops you the second that, a, that another band comes out, maybe those weren't actual fans. You know what I mean? Like, maybe... Maybe that was the general public listening to the songs that they played on Top 40 Radio, but I don't know that those were particular fans. Like, if all of a sudden they go, Nirvana put this out, so I no longer am going to buy the latest Skid Row record or something. Like, to me, is just total, it makes zero sense, honestly. You know, like, like, it makes enough sense where I go, yeah, there was a new trend, something else came out, and that's what grunge was. It was a trend. It was a... I mean, you know, it had it had its time in the sun just like hair metal did, you know, and uh, and I think anything that would have come out would have done that. I don't think it was just grunge in particular, you know, that that was just happened, you know, right place and right time. But, uh, you know, pre pre grunge, like the decline too is just such a great like time capsule during it's really I mean, this movie was released in 88. So, I mean, she was putting this together in the uh, mid 80s there like 86 87 so i mean this is this is truly like in the middle of it in its heyday the middle of these bands being huge this is you know i mean 1988 like that's like i think nirvana became you know started in 87 or 88 so i mean this is like nirvana's just starting they're years from being anything grunge is really years from being anything you know it's all, it's not even called grunge at that point. So it's like, this is hair metal 
during it. You know, this is Sunset Strip as uh, I don't know if everyone thinks about it this way. It's funny. I, I went to Los Angeles in 2016, and that's very important because I want you to remember that this was 2016. So even in 2016, we're talking, uh, what would that be? I mean, that's that's already almost 30 years removed from uh, the Sunset Strip of 1988. But even then, I guess it's because that's all I'd ever seen of it was the footage from, you know, the hair metal times. And, and I thought of like the rainbow and the whiskey and, uh, you know, just all those places. But like I went down there and it looked nothing like it. And like I, and I was so bummed out. And it really wasn't until after the trip that I started going, well, yeah, dude, you're like comparing it to 30 years prior. <laughs> and uh, and now I look back and I go like that was kind of foolish of me. I'm like, oh, my God, like there's so many like trends and different things that it's went through in 30 years. Like, of course, it's not going to look like it did then. You know, I, I was expecting people to have like big ass puffy hair and stuff. But uh, I, I just didn't assume it would look as modern as it did, I guess I should say. You know, I'm mean, obviously the whiskey and the rainbow and all that's still there and the Roxy. And, uh, you know, a lot of those like stables are still there. So still, still very cool to see. But at the same time, I was very bummed driving through going like this just kind of looks like any modern street in a city. Like this isn't uh, what I remember seeing there. But I mean, you know, really Penelope is very responsible for, uh, you know, really the, the images that I conjure up when I think of the Sunset Strip and what I was expecting I went to go see it. And, uh, you know, I mean, going through like the bands that, that she interviewed and uh, also performed, you know, Faster Pussycat, Poison was in it, um, you know, Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Ozzy uh, did some interviews in it, a very famous one with him uh, shaking and dropping uh, the uh, orange juice, which I have heard that was staged, but it's really like one of the only things that's staged in it. Like for being a film that's been out this long, there, because there are just parts that are just kind of ridiculous where you go like, oh my God, like is, is that interview staged or is that part of this or that? Not really. Like most of it, minus just little things like that, it was it was all very real and raw. But I mean, if you're if you're looking at '88 and the people you know she had in there, also um, Wasp. Like I said, I mean Chris Holmes has probably one of the most famous interviews in uh, in all three of those. I would say that's one of the most infamous, famous, whatever you want to call it, interviews. In the whole thing, um, the band London, which Nikki Six actually started, he was out of it by then, but uh, they're in there, and uh, obviously you got to have Lemmy because you're talking about the Sunset Strip, so uh, he was interviewed for it. But I mean, a huge list of people from that time. She got some really good people, and what I really like about it is, like, I, I think I think probably the best documentaries do this. And sometimes you're watching it just because, like I mentioned, the over-the-topness, the the excessiveness, some of the ridiculous shit. You go, is she trying to paint this stuff in a positive light or is she trying to say, I mean, you know, the, the film is called The Decline of what? Is she truly saying this is the decline of Western civilization? You're looking right at it. And I like it because it really toes this line. And for one, the people that she has in these films – like it's someone who knows something about the music. Like you look at who she has and stuff and you can tell it's well researched. Like she knows what she's talking about. She she really picks some good people to be in this thing. And it seems enough where you go, well, she has to know something about this music. You know, she's not a she's not like a conservative mother, like suburban housewife who like did a documentary to like show all those evil, all evil satanic bands that her you know son was listening to. Like it's not like that. 
So it's just this very interesting, like, kind of neutral, we just kind of let them do their own thing. But you do. It does beg the question still. Like, when you're watching, like, Chris Holmes pour fucking, like, you know, liquor over his head in a pool, you go, like, you know, is she... Is she trying to tell us that, you know, there's something wrong with the scene here or is she because there's still the other sides where she is showing, you know, these packs sold out clubs and she is showing all these shows and all these huge bands. And there are parts where you are watching these young kids with dreams and aspirations out there trying to make something of themselves, you know, but she also does show, you know, the people who obviously are in denial, who have no clue what they're going to do outside of this, have no real plans and, uh, you know, also just you can tell, like, are just kind of there. there. There's even people in there who aren't even, like, musicians. I'm not even talking so much about the uh, the bands in there. But, I mean, there's just people who are part of those scenes who that was their life, you know. And, and you do wonder where most of these people are now. I mean, it'd be extremely interesting. There, there's a couple accounts out there. But uh, I would really love to see something with, uh, you know, with, like, tons of those people from uh, – from the three of them I don't know if they'd want to be in them or not You know, some of those are not super flattering So I'm sure there's certain people in there Including the ones who weren't musicians Like, you know, I think Chris Holmes is kind of uh, You know, owned up to that And has talked about it and stuff But he he was a guitarist in Wasp And has, you know, stayed in, in music In the limelight, if you will Whereas, like, some of the kids who they interviewed Who, you know, were just, you know Like, including in the first one back in, like, 1980 You know, like those people are like at this point in their 50s and 60s and you know they may look back on that and cringe you know like ones who aren't limelight and like who just went on to have normal jobs and normal lives like they may not look look back on it as uh, fondly but uh you know like even with that said it it really it really does beg the question like i i but i think it's more of a neutral look more than anything i w- i want to say that penelope's giving you more of a neutral look like you get good and bad with it. There's never a time where it shies away from the bad. But I think there's also parts where you can look at and go, I get why these people are a part of what they're a part of. You know, and I think she successfully does that. You know, if she had a bias, then, you know, you could watch that film and it could either be, hey, we're trying to like paint this like, you know, punk rocks this cool thing and like we're gonna we're gonna like not look at like, you know, the rampant like homelessness and runaway teens. And, uh, you know, the rapid drug use and like all these other things is like, no, we like look at both sides of it. Like we look at these great bands, but then we also like look at what they're doing off stage and like the demons that they have. And I mean, because to be honest, too, for as many people as I would like to see a where are they now off this film, there's a lot of them who are just dead. I mean, whether it's performers, I mean, look at it, in the first uh, decline. Obviously, you have Darby Crash in there from the Germs, who is no longer with us. I mean, the third I won't ruin I feel like I feel like it's kind of a spoiler if I do mention one in the third, but even before the film came out, there's a couple of them that did not that were dead. Like we're just that was it. Like in some really like twists and turns in there. So it's like it's interesting because it it does. Like it shows some people in there who are well adjusted, who love the music, who love the scene, and then there's other people in there who you know, are kind of justifying the bad parts of it or like, well, it's not like that and stuff. And then you see it's like, oh, like, no, they, they were troubled. There were issues there. And uh, and I like it because it is it is a it's a it's a look at it. And it's very it's here's the pretty parts. Here's the ugly parts. But we're going to show you both of them, you know, and I, I think that's what a good uh, documentary does. 
But I mean, the second the second one is really kind of fun. I think there's there's parts there's more parts that you can laugh at and stuff. And once again, still a very cool time capsule and kind of time and place with a uh, hair metal in the '80s and kind of everything that went with it. And I like the uh, you know, like I said, the whether it whether you want to call it like stupid confidence, blind confidence, like. Whatever it is, like there's a lot of people in that uh, in that time where they're just talking about all the bands on the Sunset Strip, the insane amount of competition that there was, but like they had this mentality. I mean, one you got to go check out if you've never seen the film, um, Wet Cherry. I believe he was their guitar player, but he has in particular he has a certain segment um, in the film where they're like interviewing him and like the way he's talking, like. He will not, he could not see the band not making it. Like she's asking him like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What will you do if this band doesn't make it? And there, there's just no, and I mean like you, yes, you've probably heard there are people and there's like the cockiness, like, well, of course we're going to make it. But it's like the way, the way he's saying it and the way he's conveying it, you can tell there's no, there is nothing else. Like he's not like, she's asking backup plans and stuff. This is it. He cannot see it going another way. He thought they were the greatest thing of all time. He, There's no way they wouldn't be the, the biggest band you've ever heard of. There's no way they wouldn't be filthy, rich, and famous. And, uh, you know, I mean, now, now you look back and laugh. I mean, you know, Wet Cherry, have you heard of them? Probably not. You know, they're, uh, I don't, I hate to break this to you. Wet Cherry did not become, uh, you know, the, uh, the biggest thing in the world. They're not going to be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame next year. But, uh, you know, like, yes, you can laugh at it, and it is funny, but at the same time, if you put yourself in the shoes of what I assume was probably like a 20-year-old dude living, you know, living on the Sunset Strip playing guitar, you know, every night at a different bar, it's like you do, you do start to really kind of appreciate or admire that, like, really that fire he had. It's like, look at, I mean... Yeah, you look at it from outside perspective and go, this guy's, you know, like this kid's fucking nuts. Like, you know, like the way the way he's like talking and stuff. But it's like at the same time you go, you know what, though, if he truly believes what he was saying, then it's like that's admirable. It's something where you're like, that's something that only like really someone young and going for it. I think you really find it in. So it's like there is something I think about it as you look and you go like, it's cool. Like, sure, it didn't happen. But it's like it is kind of neat to be like, hey, you know, he truly believed it. And maybe that's what you need to make it. You know, maybe maybe that's what you need to decide. Hey, I'm going to pack up everything. You know, like I forget where he's from. But I don't think he was originally from L.A. Most of those people weren't. They moved there from somewhere else, you know. So it's like maybe you need to have that anyway. Maybe you have to be that person. Maybe you have to be the guitarist of Wet Cherry to, uh, you know, pack up everything and move from like Idaho to LA where, you know, nobody and have like no money to your name and you and your band just try to, uh, you know, really stick it out, including at a time where there were so many local bands, you know, they talk about in the film. And I mean, I feel like the scene was doing really well and there were tons of places to play, but there were still tons of bands playing. So, you know, you are fighting with, uh, with other bands to get that, you know, to get that stage time. And yeah, I think maybe you did need to be that guy who who thinks, what are you talking about? In 10 years, I'll be filthy fucking rich playing, you know, Madison Square Garden. Like, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but, you know, maybe maybe you need to have that. But it's just very interesting. It's it's very interesting to look at that, uh, you know, at that time. But once again, like I was talking about, where I think some people might look back on it more fondly than others. 
it depends how you look at that. I mean, I can look at it and laugh at the, at all of them in all of these films because let's be honest, there's ridiculous interviews in all of them. She's interviewing 18-year-old kids. That's what she's doing. She's interviewing 18-year-old kids who are into what at the time was the big it was basically the big thing to piss your parents off. You know what I mean? Like look back at the first decline. Um, you know, that one came out in 1981. We're talking we're like four, five or six years removed from, you know, punk rock hitting in 1977. Like, this is still a fairly new thing. Like, we're kind of into, like, second wave bands now. I mean, you know, like, you're, you're kind of pat. You know, Sex Pistols are broken up at that point, And the Ramones are a couple records in, you know. But uh, you're still, you know, you're still pretty new in there. And that's really when the hardcore, really the hardcore side really started. And that's kind of who she talked to. She talked to a lot of, uh, not even a lot of, like, all basically West Coast bands but, I mean, in the first decline of Western civilization, I mean, fears in it, X's in it, germs, black flags, circle jerks, Alice Bag Band, Catholic discipline. Like, you know, some more of the hardcore side of uh, punk rock. But, you know, at a time where it was new and stuff. And a lot of these kids, which, once again, this kind of goes back and forth where it's like, you know, is she, is she like, you know, showing this to you so you laugh at them? Or is she showing it to you, like, from a cultural aspect where it's like you should listen to what they're saying and and whatnot. I kind of like to think, number one, I think it's a little bit in the middle, but I think more than anything, it's not malicious. I think it's more of a, this is explaining to you, you don't get why these kids are like, you know, shaving X's in their heads and putting, you know, safety pins through their noses. You may not go out and buy, you know, the new X record after you watch this documentary, but maybe you'll at least understand why they are the way they are. You know, maybe you'll get why, you know, that guy is wearing a studded leather jacket, you know, with a crim, you know, with like a crimson skull on the back of it. Like you may not love it. We may not convert you into a fan, but at least you may get where they're coming from now. But it kind of goes back to that where, you know, they're interviewing like, I, I don't know the guy's name. Funny enough, I did see, though, about where they now he is a folk singer now in, uh, I believe, Portland or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. So good for him. It's very cool. But uh He's that bald-headed kid in the first decline that uh, that they interview. It's in black and white. And they interview him a couple times. And a lot of the things he's saying are ridiculous. I mean, but nothing nothing that ridiculous for a, you know, SoCal, like, punk hardcore kid from 1980, you know, to say. But you look back at it and you and you kind of go, yeah, I mean, he's not a philosopher. It's, it's very outdated. You know, a lot of the stuff he's saying is uh, outdated and old and you know it's not just like anything else it's like that was the thing at the time where you were young and wanted to piss off your parents whereas now it's like you're you're we've had 15 things since then but uh you know you you look at that and you go from one aspect you go like yeah you do kind of laugh at it now which also I do I do have to say I wonder if I'm looking at this through eyes of someone who wasn't because I wasn't there for, you know, I mean, I was born, you know, the third one came out in 1998, but the first two came out in the 80s. I wasn't born for that. So I'm I'm looking at these through kind of, you know, nostalgic glasses or whatever. You know, I, I'm I'm someone who wasn't there for those eras of punk. So it's like I only know what's being told to me and, you know, secondhand stories and stuff from people who were there. So maybe when this came out, it, and it probably was because like there really was like the first one did not get screened in Los Angeles because uh, the police sergeant at the time thought it would incite riots. Like they, they would not let it premiere there. They would not, they could not let it have a screening. And uh, so, I mean, that kind of shows, you know, that was, that was still at the time when punk was dangerous and stuff. So, you know, you look at it now and it, once again, it's kind of that time capsule and, you know, it's just so long ago. I mean, literally 
they're interviewing people in this film who were younger, who are like 10 years younger than I am now. I'm 27. They're probably 17 then. But that was in like 1980. Those people now are like 58 years old. Like those people are now like, like you were looking at the youth culture of the time and those people now are eligible for AARP. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so I may be looking back at it more like, oh, this is kind of, you know, not outdated in a bad way, but I'm just like, this is a time and place. It's a time capsule. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it that way, whereas really this was maybe more serious when it came out. You know, you would listen to what those kids were saying with, uh, you know, with maybe a little more seriousness if you were hearing it, you know, a year after it was recorded or something, you know, like, like, I don't know. So maybe I'm looking at it that way. And it'd be interesting to talk to someone who uh, had watched it when it came out, or at least was even there for those scenes during that time. And really kind of what they think about what the people were saying in there in the interviews and kind of how they described what was going on. Because I think you do feel attacked too. I mean, you look at those interviews with those young kids, including in the first one. And, uh, you know, those, those people are getting attacked anyways. You know, punk was not, was not taken lightly, including in Los Angeles and stuff. I mean, you know, you'd get shit thrown at you when you're walking down the street. A lot of people didn't like you. A lot of people didn't like the music. You know, it, it, it really, like, it was a way to be cool in a way, but it also probably wouldn't make you Mr. Popular with everybody. You know, you may find friends within that scene, but it's not going to make you the most popular kid in school, you know, dyeing your hair, you know, fucking blue and wearing a germ shirt, you know. Which is funny because, you know, years late, you know, you would kind of look at that, you know, back in like 1980, it's not that way. Now in, you know, say 1992, 1993, now it's starting to, you know, grunge. And then in 94, like with uh, Green Day and stuff, it's like then it starts changing. And then like the cool kids are listening to, you know, Dookie and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't particularly a thing to make you cool and stuff so much. It was still a dangerous thing in 1981. And, uh, you know, you're like looking back at that. And, and I think a lot of them are young people who have been defending why they do what they do, why they play the music they play. And, uh, you know, maybe on a little bit of the defensive, you know, they might they might be they might have some uh, defense there when uh, it comes to talking about that. And, and I think that's the thing. It's funny because sometimes they build it up in ways where I, like even me, like, and I, I love the music. I, I love all of that. I love the, the uh, film, but you do watch it. And even at times where I'm like, I love the albums and the bands that they're talking about. But even at some point I'm like, you're putting too much into why you like, like when they explain why they have dyed hair and listen to loud, fast music, like some of them go on these diatribes where I go, now I don't think people believe it. Cause now you're doubling down and making it more than it is you know what i mean like because these people people from the outside may try to belittle it or make fun of it so you try to make it serious and legitimize it but then you got you go you go a little too far you know but it, it's like there's still i mean there's parts like watching watching x get interviewed while they're all getting like tattoos in their kitchen they're just sitting there all getting like basically prison tattoos in their kitchen while they talk to the camera about you know punk rock and their band and everything and it's just and just talking about the ridiculous shit that they do and just like, you know, the the party of it. Because it's the other thing. And that, that's why I laugh at it. Because we can laugh at hair metal and stuff. But I feel like our old school, like punk and hardcore doesn't get the shit as much. And it's like they weren't, they were party animals. It wasn't as like, I don't think it was the same way though. Like they, they weren't as objectifying and shit as uh, hair metal was. But like. 
punks were like doing the stupidest things too. Like let's let's not pretend that some of those guys aren't talking about like getting just fucking wasted and like, you know, setting things on fire or just starting fights for no reason or, you know, like even even like fights with cops, like, you know, still going out there and like yelling fuck you at a cop and throwing your beer at them <laughs> in the middle of the street and stuff. Like just punk punk shit basically. But uh, you know, like like there there are those aspects of it. And that's what I was talking about earlier, where like, yes, we're talking about, oh man, it's all about the music, but there are aspects of it, which Penelope shows where it's like there's a culture that goes with it. You know, it's not we just listen to this music. It becomes a lifestyle and it becomes you know, a whole, just a whole thing. It's not just what you listen to. It becomes what you wear. It becomes, you know, your friends. It becomes your life choices. And, uh, you know, and, th- and that's the thing. You're getting this all from extremely young, naive, idealistic people, you know? So you do laugh at it, but at the same time, you do have to remember it's like they're interviewing a kid off the street who and was probably, like, drunk at the time anyway, you know, like talking about like the circle jerks and stuff like, you know, so so you do look at it sometimes go it and it is it's kind of weird just because now we're, you know, almost 40 years removed from the first one here. I mean, next year celebrates its uh, 40th anniversary. So time has passed. But I, I do think you uh, you kind of look back at those and it's like there there's some humor. But then it's like I also respect it because I'm like, I get what they're saying, like. Yeah, you know, they're they're homeless living in, you know, squalor on like the streets of L.A. But you know what? It The music and the people they know seem to mean something to them. And it, a lot of times it's the only thing they had. So it's like, you know, there, there's aspects that where you really you don't laugh. You're like, oh, like the, it's kind of sweet. And it really does show that, you know, the people the people who are belittling punk and stuff at that time are calling it like useless music. And stuff. It's like, no, that's not the case. Like it really did help you know, a lot of, a lot of people for, you know, for shit that, that wasn't good or the, you know, the people who didn't make it out. There are a lot of people who probably did because they had that music or because they had their band, you know, or whatever. So once again, I I think in the first decline, just like the second one, Penelope shows both sides. She's not really like, like, like you watch the black flag one. That's another, I would say that's probably one of the most, uh, like if the Chris Holmes interview is like the big one from the second one, I would say the black flag interview in the first decline is probably like the, you know, like the most well-known part of it. And it's showing them in an old church and like where Ron Ray's and the, I forget a couple of them lived there. I don't think Greg Ginn lived there, but Ron Ray's did um, Chuck might've, I can't remember everyone who was in the band at that time. That was obviously because uh, Ron was there. This was after Keith was gone and Keith was also in the film, but uh, at this point he was already in circle jerks. But yeah, I forget everyone who who was in the band, but like half of them lived in this church. And I mean, it's just, it's a rundown room. I don't think there was heat. Like they basically lived in a closet. Like not even basically, they did live in closets. Like like they're living in this squalor. But the way it's presented to you, it's kind of like this, you know, part of it's like, oh my God, it's crazy how they're living. But then there's another part where it's like, I also respect it where I'm like, including now, because you look back on those legendary like, you know, I'm watching the Black Flag performance in there, which is probably the best performance in the first one. Like, really, Ron Ray's after watching that, I think he may be the best Black Flag frontman. Of all of them, that may be the best era of that band because, my God, was he good live. Like, he stole that thing. Like, him just fucking jumping into the crowd and them going nuts on him, him going nuts on them. Then like when they break into depression, like he's just going insane on stage. Like one of the best performances in the first one easily. But you know, like that whole thing where they're showing that it's like, 
you look at it and it's like part of it's this funny, you know, kind of funny thing where you're like, wow, like look at how these punks live. But then the other part's like, you know, that's kind of cool they did that. And now Black Flag is this like iconic part of pop culture from that time. You know, I I, I would say, you know, even they're, they're like the misfits where it's like there's people who don't even know Black Flag's music but know the name or at least the bar's logo. You know, the black bar is like they've definitely left a, a you know, a a mark on pop culture and uh you know you're like watching it you're like hey they had that determination and shit that uh you know which once again kind of comparing it to like you know the wet cherry guitarist it's like it's it's maybe different but it's kind of the same where you're looking at another person who's like we're just fucking determined like this is sure this isn't the best way to live but it's like this is how we have to do it like this is how i can make rent like at the time black flag wasn't making money and if and if it was greg ginn wasn't giving the rest of them any money even if black flag was making money at that time the rest of them were not seeing it if their name was not greg ginn but uh you know like they're like living in squalor and shit at that time but it's like look at what we got like look at the music we got from them and it's like they had they had probably they may not have said it or been you know articulated the way that the dude from Wet Cherry did, but really are they that different or are they both like young musicians in their early twenties living in Los Angeles just trying to make it you know like in a in a budding scene that has a bunch of other bands you know like their contemporaries but also their competition and they're just trying to make it it's like you know one song about how you can't see him do anything else going to be the biggest thing on earth and maybe black flag and they'd be the biggest thing on earth but you know if you're living in a uh you know in a rundown church like that the basement of a church for i think i think at the time ron ray says it was like 17 dollars a month rent was so i mean you know it's like it, it's those it's those things you give up for that and it's like i i feel like uh you know it's not totally different from that. You know, it's, it's kind of the same sediment just, just done or shown differently, you know, really. But that's, that's what I like about these is, is it does, it kind of shows, it shows that whole, like, yeah, we're, we're young and dumb and this is, this is what we're doing. And maybe dumb isn't fair either. Once again, it, it begs that question where sometimes you're watching this and you're going, are those people dumb or are we, you know, is there a part of you that's more jealous that you're watching and going, they like, that's something you probably couldn't do. Like most people watch that and you can laugh at that, but you go, would most people go live in, in the basement of a church to try to like live out their dreams? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure if you ask Ron Ray's now, those are probably some of the best days of his life. Like, you know, so you do watch it and you go, yeah, there's part of it's like, maybe they're poking fun, but at the same time, Penelope's also kind of showing you like, no, this is the determination. This is what it takes. It's like, it ain't beautiful. It ain't pretty. But, uh, you know, this is this is what they're doing. And I can't I can't get over that. I love how she does that. And I also I saw there's not a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but this like these films, if you haven't seen them, for one, as of right now, um, as I'm recording this, are on Amazon Prime. But they did just finally get released on DVD and Blu-ray for the first time back in like 2015. Like these you could not find for a long time. Like I'm sure they were like on YouTube and stuff like their clips and whatnot. But uh, this thing did not really have a proper release for decades. And uh, the third one here that came out in 1998, a lot of people didn't even know that that film got made until this box set came out um, like five years ago. But uh, extremely, extremely cool. I, I don't know all the reasons why it was so hard to come by for years. You know, it's been a cult classic. And like I said, I mean, you there. I've seen tons of clips on VH1, like, you know, like 15 years ago. That's how I even knew what it was. But, uh, you know, just, just watching it has been well worth the uh, wait. And I'll definitely watch them again. But, you know, like the decline, too, is cool 
because I like I, – I do have an interest in the hair metal and the sunset strip in the 80s and that whole thing, you know, and, and maybe even more than the music. Because like I said, now like Motley Crue, Motley Crue is great. They like Dr. Feelgood's great record, Too Fast for Love is a solid fucking debut record. I don't care what music you listen to. I know we talk punk, punk and alternative on here. I don't care what genre you're talking about, though. Too Fast for Love, that's that's how the fuck you start a career. That's that's how you – that is a debut record that uh, is is hard. That's, that's like a gold standard, including in that genre. That should be a gold standard for, like, that's how you write a first record. But we also got to remember – that uh, if you don't know this, I, I've read uh, the Heroin Diaries, Nikki Six's uh, journal entries from back in the 80s. That uh, funny enough, this is absolutely true. My 10th grade earth science teacher borrowed from me. And that motherfucker never gave it back. So somewhere out there, my uh, my 10th grade earth science teacher still has my copy of the Heroin Diaries that I let him borrow in 2008. And uh, I'm sorry, 2009, I think it was, that I, I let him borrow it. And my ass never saw that again. But, uh, you know, him talking there, what I'm getting at is Nikki Six was a punk rocker. Like, that dude listened to punk rock. So it's like, you, you look at, like, Too Fast for Love. Yeah, it's like, it's metal, but it's like, those dudes also listened to punk. A lot of those hair metal guys, though, did, though, too. You look back and it's like, so many of them did, like, Ramones covers. And I mean, for one, fuck, I mean, look at the Misfits, ba- or not the Misfits, Metallica ba- basically gave the Misfits like the reason the misfits are as big as they are, you 100% have to give credit to Metallica. Like people would not have known, you know, besides the people who were there when they were around, I don't think people would have known who the misfits were um had had Metallica not went and went and done that. I mean, like 100%, you know, all the covers and wearing the merch and all that, like 100%. So I mean, I I, I just always think that's cool because as someone who's more ingrained in punk but also like does like hair metal and stuff like that. A lot of people in punk music are more judgmental where they're like, nah, fuck, fuck that, fuck Guns N' Roses, fuck this and that. Whereas a lot of those dudes though from those bands wouldn't be that way. Like you would probably like those guys. You're like, nah, nah, nah. Like don't, don't fuck Guns N' Roses. Like Duff McKagan like was a fucking punk rocker. Like that dude was a punker. Like he, he listens to all those bands that you do and probably knows most of those guys. You know, but uh, and actually a lot of those guys would probably tell you the decline, the first decline. They probably were, uh, you know, huge fans of. But, uh, you know, it's just interesting kind of the the uh, the differences and similarities, you know, in the punk and metal that, uh, you know, is shown in in uh, decline one and two. And then like really number three, I know I know I'm talking a lot about the uh, the first two. Those are the best. Number three, I think, is worth watching. But at that point, I think. It's not even that it's better. Here's here's kind of what I was thinking about it the other day. Because I'm like, number three is not a bad film. It's worth watching, but it's not as good as the first two. But I think my thing is this. What Penelope did on the first two is really encapsulate a time and place. And also, she, she just so happened to interview who a lot of the bands who had become the, like, the most important bands of those eras. Whether we're talking hair metal or, you know, punk. Like, she talked to people who, when you look back, like, you know who Fear and the Germs and Black Flag and the Circle Jerks are. Like, those are huge bands from punk rock. Like, so when you look back at this, not only are you seeing historic performances, really, like, about these bands in their heydays, like, you're getting interviews from these bands who there's not tons of, like, really, like, I don't think Darby Crash, there's probably not tons of Darby Crash interviews out there or video footage of him, and you have it right there, like, it's really this time capsule of, you know, Los Angeles 
with the punk rock scene in the early 80s and then in the mid to late 80s with the hair metal scene there. And what she did on The Decline 3 is, I mean, there's still the bands there. It's still the same format. You know, she interviews bands. There's live performances. She also interviews, you know, kids who are part of that scene at the time. Once again, mostly like early 20s. But uh, I think on this one, I part of my thing is I don't think the connection of bands is there for me. And maybe it's a personal thing, but like, like on here, the bands, the bands that are featured in the decline of Western Civilization Three were uh, Final Conflict, Naked Aggression, Limitless Green, the Re- and the uh, Resistance, and then also Flea and Keith Morris made uh, cameos. They were they were in the uh, first one as well. But like that list of bands there, honestly, the only one I had ever heard of before the decline um, or before watching that one was Naked Aggression. That's the only one I had ever heard of. So I didn't have the same connection with the bands. You know, like going into to The Decline 1 and 2, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, like there's The Germs, there's Black Flag, you know, or like there's Ozzy Osbourne, there's Alice Cooper. Like, you know, these are people I know and love. Like, this is cool. Whereas, uh, you know, and I think it becomes a big thing because you know those people, you know the people, you know, you know who John Doe is, you know who Ron Reyes is. So it's like when they're getting interviewed and stuff, I'm watching it going like, oh, shit, like, you know, like those are legends. Whereas with uh, number three, I just don't have the same connection with the bands and uh, no disrespect to the bands. You know, they're just they ended up not being the uh, same ones. I I also though think she did that, too. I mean, because you hear a little shit talking on that film. But at this point, you know, punk kid punk was pretty popular at that point, you know, punk and ska. And, uh, you know, like I was talking about, you know, on our uh, 1995 episode a few weeks back. But I mean, just how punk and ska and alternative and all that was just really big at the time. And this was kind of the other side of it. These were the, these were the local bands who weren't, you know, and it's funny because there's a little shit talking in there. I'm like, you know, you hear people mention like the offspring or green day. And it's like, you know, those, those little, you know, little jabs at them and stuff. Cause at the time, you know, those are the big punk bands are bringing punk to the masses and are like, you know, making it uncool or whatever, you know, you definitely hear that from them. But like, you know, and I don't know, I think it would be a different film because here's 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 the thing about that. What they focus more on, I think, in this one is the kids surrounding it. But I think Penelope might have did that on purpose. I think what she did more in this one was she showed you the kids living around it and more of the connection of how all of them kind of came from, which in all the films they do kind of bring up their backgrounds. I mean, there there is also that like the little bit of psychology in there where it's like, oh, yeah, like this person ran away from home. You know, this person, you know, like they don't know who their father is or, you know, they, they had an abusive, you know, mother or father or whatever it was. Like, you know, there, there's reasons for why they, you know, kind of were where they were. And, uh, you know, she definitely did that in the third one. But I think she did it more and I think made it a bigger point to kind of point that out. Like, you know, which once again, kind of while not all of it was healthy, it's also like this is kind of the only place for a lot of them to go. And it's probably a reason why a lot of them are still alive or doing anything. Now, it also showed, yeah, the ridiculous parts. Um, I mean, hilarious. I forget the name of it, but, like, a lot of these kids were going out to, like, go in front of, like, uh, Man's Chinese Theater in Los Angeles and just take pictures with tourists. Like, I forget what it was called, but take a picture of the punk. Like, as they do, you know, they'd, like, put their spikes on, you know, they put their hair up. Just basically the stereotype of what someone thinks punk looks like and just go, you know, charge tourists, like, five bucks for a picture. And, uh, you know, just shit like that to get beer money. Like, that's what they did. Or, you know, go live. They'd live in an apartment for a month. You know, basically just go month to month, just destroy it, go to the next one, destroy it, go to the next one. Um, just different things like that. Um, another one, and I, I 
there's actually a few things I don't want to spoil in the third one, which I will I will say I, I think there's more things you could spoil in that than the first two. But uh, I, there's something she does very well letting letting you know about one kid's uh, situation. But he's basically on I, I'll just say he's on disability and uh, kind of how, you know, some of the kids are kind of. But once again, kind of goes back and forth. Are they using him or, you know, are they truly his friends and stuff? But they're like showing like the squalor they live in off like his disability checks and uh, just what they all do for money and beer money. That one, though, there's more of a I also think because she she talks to a lot of them who aren't musicians. You look at the first two and a lot of them are talking about they put themselves these situations and they're living the way they are because they're trying to do something with their band. You know, they're trying they're trying to make money and make a living off their art. Whereas, you know, in the third one, they're talking to a lot of these kids who are basically just gutter punks and, uh, you know, who now it's just a lifestyle. They're on the streets just getting drunk and fucked up every night and uh, going to like punk shows to see the bands. But it's not, you know, they're not in the bands. They're not touring or have the goals. A lot of them are just like, where will you be in 10 years? It's not, well, you know, my band will be huge. It's I'm going to be dead. You heard that a lot in there, to be honest. Like you would hear, which is very sad because once again, we're talking about interviews with, you know, 10 year, not 10 year old kids, 18 year old kids here who you ask them that question. And some of them kind of say it jokingly, but a lot of them like no nonsense. Like they've thought of this before. They're just like, I'm going to be dead. Like I'll be fucking dead, man. Like there's, there's nothing else I want to do, but you know, like just, party with these, you know, people on the streets and just, you know, go, go to punk shows. And I realize I'm going to live fast and die young. Like, you know, very matter of fact, which a lot of them once again did a lot of, a lot of these people are not around to do a, where are they now kind of thing, which is extremely sad. But, uh, I, I think she did that very well in the third one. Like to me, I don't go to the third one for the bands. Like I, like the first one, I mean, oh my God, like you just talk about you. I just, like I posted that I was watching it on like, I don't know, maybe, I think it was Facebook I put a couple weeks ago and I was watching the first one. I'm like, man, I've wanted to see this forever. Like such good bands and stuff. And just like, I had so many friends who were like, fuck yeah, like I love, like this is my favorite performance. And then you'd hear someone else like, my favorite performance was Black Flag. And then someone else was like, no, Circle Jerks was the best one. Like just everyone has a favorite. Like there's so much like classic stuff in there and classic bands that everyone has like their favorites in there. Whereas with the third I don't feel like you go to that for the music. You're going more for those personal stories and also the connection that, you know, Penelope was kind of making the whole time, but really showed in that one where, you know, a lot of kids who were in the hair metal scene and the hardcore punk scene the first time. And then 20 years later, you know, 1998, were coming from places where they didn't have other places to go. This was where they had to go, you know, and uh, for better or worse, you know, save some people probably killed others, but, uh, you know, really that reality of it. And once again, going further than the music, this one more than the other ones. We're showing showing more than just the music. Like, it's almost like punk rock is just part of it. Like, those bands are just, those bands are what they listen to. You know, it's, it's also about how they react with people in society, how society reacts to them, how they're looked at, you know. Because Penelope also does that. She does interview, like, um, I forget the dude's name, but like, I think it was like the, the chief of the LAPD in 1998 and like showing how he depicts punks, what he thinks of them. And she's very good at interviewing him too. Cause she's, you know, she like asks them straight up, just kind of straight questions, but also be like, you know, do you ever make fun of them? Do you ever hassle them? Do you ever feel like you're a little too violent with them and stuff? And you know, you, you also get that where you see where like, oh yeah, cops were probably fucking with them as well. You know, like you, 
she's good at covering all those bases, which once again, she's not going to make you look like an angel by any, by any stretch of the imagination. She didn't, you know, she didn't make these like, all these punks are good people. A lot of them are telling you on screen. It's like, yeah, I rot. Like I just, I make money. However I have to make money. It's like, I rob people all the time. And just no remorse either. Like it's just a way of life. Like that's just what I have to do. Like this is, you know, which once again, very sad when you think about this is the mentality of, you know, a night basically a child. I mean, really a, a fucking kid, you know, a 19 year old who, uh, you know, is out on their own basically by no choice of their own because that was it was that or live in an abusive household. And she does a great job really showing that in the uh, third one. But it is interesting, too, because I feel like there was a lot going on at that time where like, you know, in the 80s. Yeah, there was other there was other stuff like I mean, sure, like in the first one, if she wanted to, she could have focused on, say, like New Wave or, you know, like some of the other like alternative uh, things that were going on at that time. Like college rock was a little new at that time, so maybe not that. But there's folks on like the hardcore punk, whereas I feel like in 1998, there were like a lot of, you know, you could you could do like the ska side, the more pop punk side, this hardcore punk side of like, you know, those bands who weren't on major labels who weren't, you know, playing arenas and stuff. You know, that was the other thing they talked about was like the one band she talked was like, what's the biggest, you know, what's the biggest uh, audience ever played to? And it was like 300, you know, which nothing bad for a local band, but like you compare that to some of the, uh, you know, like, like some of the guys in like the metal years who, I mean, already when she's interviewing like Alice Cooper, I mean, that dude's playing arenas and shit, you know, you're not playing to 300 people. And it, uh, you know, that also shows a difference too, like the, like a lot of them being kind of content. And also I think a lot of them realizing people aren't going to touch what we're singing about and stuff. Like they're not, some of them realize it. And then it's funny because some of them have this kind of like, you know, fuck major labels. They just don't get it, man. Or it's like, well, if they're going to sign me, they have to realize I'm like, they make it, they make it out of be this thing where major labels are the reason, like major labels were just too real. Where in reality, they're singing songs about like, you know, breaking into people's homes or like just anarchy. You're like fucking burning shit down and stuff where it's just like, I don't think it's the major labels. I just don't think that's going to sell to a mainstream audience. I don't know that it's like Geffen records holding you down because at the end of the day, if Geffen records thought that your gutter punk band was going to make millions of dollars by singing about like living on the streets with your dog and like panhandling and, you know, taking pictures with tourists while you're all while you're all decked out in your punk gear, they would sign millions of you. Like, trust me, they would like if that's what made money in 1998 gutter punks like that's what would have sold. But it, it wasn't Green Days and shit were like the more popular side of that was, you know, the uh, less the the side that was a little easy, you know, not so rough around the edges, if you will. And, uh, you know, it's just funny about that, though, with some of them, because like even I'm like. And I like and like I like the music enough that they're like playing, but I'm like you listen to them like yeah, major labels won't touch this. That I'm like, dude, if if they thought they could make a million bucks off you, they definitely would touch that. There's they would have no trouble, you know, getting in bed getting in bed with your band if they thought your band was gonna make them money. But they they know they're not. You know, it's uh, it's funny like that because it is it is more it is more underground. You know, I think. The second one really shows that at a time where those bands were doing really big and even the smaller bands that uh, she interviews, it's like maybe they weren't the biggest bands in the scene, but that music was doing something and they had a good chance at making it, you know, whereas, uh, you know, these guys in 1998 were playing the opposite of what you would hear, you know, like kind of the opposite of like the offspring or Green Day or whatever, you know, kind of the uh, other side of that. 
which just wouldn't have sold. You know, nothing nothing to do, I don't think, with the major labels. I just think what they were playing just wouldn't have been very mainstream friendly. And I also think it goes back to uh, kind of like I was saying, where she's showing more of the, uh, I feel like this one more focuses on the uh, people who are part of that scene instead of just the bands in particular. Because um, like, like with the first decline and even the second, like there's like, maybe a handful of people who are really memorable who like you know get interviewed throughout the uh, thing that you really remember you know who weren't who weren't like a musician whereas with the third one i remember uh interviews and and people from that from that documentary a lot more just the people who are a part of the scene than i do the actual bands who they interviewed um and i think that's part of it because if you had went with the more mainstream side of punk um, you know, in 1998, I don't know that you would get that story, you know, that side of the story with the gutter punks, you know, gutter punks weren't the, uh, ones probably listening to the more popular punk stuff. You know, they were the ones listening to final conflict and limitless green and all that, you know, that, that was kind of, it kind of went hand in hand with that scene. So I think that's probably the other reason why she picked those ones. But I do think that's the interesting thing of there is it does, it becomes more about the people and the scene and kind of kind of the stuff that isn't about the music but the stuff surrounding the music than it is the uh, other two though i do i will say too i think this one has less uh like even now you know the the first two kind of have parts of it where you can kind of laugh at it and uh some of it meant to be some of it not meant to be probably but uh in the third one i don't feel like there's as much of that it's a lot more of really a a look at something that that was an issue that still that still really is an issue but uh you know i mean just like teen homelessness including in an area like los angeles and you know the things that they went through to uh you know live day by day and where a lot of them come from and you know the similarities of their backgrounds and things like that it really does it becomes you know for being a music documentary um, I, 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 once again, I mean, I would love to, uh, one day interview Penelope Spheres about, uh, I mean, she has a huge career. She's done so many films and, uh, actually I didn't know this until today, but she apparently did the, nineties uh, little rascals film, which would have been my introduction to her. Cause I, I'm pretty sure I would have saw that at like probably age three or four. So that would have been, that would have been where I, what I knew her from and, uh, not so much the decline, but I mean, she's done, you know, like I said, Wayne's world's like her biggest thing. And uh, she's also like Suburbia, that that was her. She did a bunch of other just, I mean, like music-oriented ones. Then she, you know, went in and uh, did more, you know, different different like comedies and whatnot like in the uh, mainstream. But, I mean, he's really done a lot of cool shit for like punk and metal and that, that whole thing. And uh, really great interview too. I got to say, extremely interesting person just, you know, after watching those films going down a rabbit hole and kind of getting into her work and, you know, hearing her talk about the films – and uh, I like hearing I like hearing from her and her like talk about them like you can you can tell that it was her that got those great like there's a reason why she got great answers and great moments of those films. And it's kind of like how you need it's one of those things where like you don't realize that with a good music producer. And I've talked about when I interview them on here where it's like people don't think about it. But to be a good music producer, for one, you have to be able to convey things that people, other people can't like you. It's not just about being a good musician. Cause there's a lot of good musicians who are introverted and, you know, are not good at conveying their emotions to other people. You know, they're not good at giving direction either. And they may not be great at convincing people of things. Whereas as a producer, you do have to be kind of more extroverted. You have to be able to 
let someone know when what they're doing is good, when it's bad. You have to direct them in a certain way. Sometimes there's people, I remember talking to Michael Beinhorn a few years ago, and I forget exactly who we were talking about, but, uh, you know, and I'm sure he's talking about more than one person, but I think there was someone in particular we were mentioning um, at that time and how he was saying you had to make them think that your ideas were theirs. Like, so you had to point them in the right, in the right, in the right direction, but they couldn't think that it came from you. You had to do it in such a cunning way that the, uh, the he was the lead singer of a band. And I, I don't. I can't remember who it, it may have been Soundgarden. Maybe it was Chris Cornell, but I don't know. I won't I won't throw Chris under the bus like that. But whoever it was, it was like they would not take advice if you gave it to them. So you would have to give them advice, but you have to do it in such a way that they thought it was their idea and that they came up with it. And uh, you know, that's that's a that's a talent. That is something that people don't think about with producers. And it's the same thing with someone who is uh, doing a documentary and interviewing these people. And that's what Penelope does, like watching the behind the scenes and also just watching interviews with her and, and kind of realizing her personality and uh, how she looks at this and how she looks back on those films and stuff. You can tell like she's she is the reason it was so good because you could get someone else in there and uh, interviewed the same bands and got nothing. Because also remember, she's talking to unruly punks here you know there it would not have been hard to interview i'm sure it would not have been hard to interview you know black flag in 1981 and have all of them tell you to go fuck yourself and not answer any of any of the questions you know and uh and also probably be weary that you want to come like record the place they live in you know like shit like that where you have to there are aspects of that that you got to be good at and uh, she's absolutely amazing at but uh, yeah, I cannot. I wanted to talk about the uh, you know the trilogy there. I would love to talk to her sometime about it, and also just love to talk about talk to people who are in those films. You know, so many good ones. But uh, on top of that, too, after watching the first one, just I've been on a huge like old school punk kick. You know, like it, it just got me. Like I've always I like the band X, but after watching that, I went back and like I've always known some of their songs, but I really went back and like listened to their their record Los Angeles and a lot of the classic stuff and I'm like, "Oh my god." And not even just classic stuff. Alphabet Land, their record that came out this year, which you've probably heard people talk about because people who are fans of them, all you hear is like, "Oh my god, like this is really really good." And uh I just listened to it. My god, it's like they never stopped. I mean, it's it's insane. They have not put a record out since like 1995, I think was the last one. And Billy Zoom, no, Billy Zoom, I think did play on that. He didn't play on a couple records, but I think he did play on like the one they put out in like the mid 90s. But this is the first one since then. We're talking multiple decades here in a band who are 40 years in now. Like, you know, it, it goes back to like I was talking about, like, you know, that original decline, they're interviewing them. And uh, they're all like at that point, they're maybe not early 20s. They're like mid like they, they're still fucking young. They're still like 26, 27, like, you know, not not to not to paint it like they're really old then. But, you know, they're like, I don't know, like, you know, in their 20s then and now, I mean, they're still at it. They're like in their 50s and 60s and fucking kicking ass. Like, I'm telling you, you got to go check out Alpha, Alphabet Land. Like, it's insane how good it is. Like, I turned it on. And even on the first song, like Exine's voice sounds like I'm like, oh my god! Like you can tell, because sometimes you put it on, you're like, is this gonna sound like them? Like, what is an X record gonna sound like in 2020? And then you put it on, you go, holy shit! Like this song sounds like they wrote in the 80s. Like she's singing, like her same cadence and stuff is like, wow! Like this is, and, you know. And then John Doe comes on, it's like, oh fuck! Like he's still great. Like Billy Zoom's guitar playing, amazing. You know, so good. But uh, you know, really. Uh, it's just gotten me on such a kick 
with the uh, old school punk. And even bands like not not uh, in the first decline. I remember after watching the first one afterwards, just getting on YouTube, starting with old Black Flag uh, live footage. I started with that, specifically uh, Ron Ray's era. Because after watching that film, I'm like, I, I got to watch more. I got to see Ron Ray's with them more. And then just down a rabbit hole of, you know, like Dead Kennedy's live footage. Um, you know, uh, really probably the best, though, being Bad Brains. Watching fucking HR back in his day. And uh, it's so it's funny now, and I've seen him live, and I, I can attest to this. He, he doesn't really move around. He's very chill now and uh, still cool to see because you're still like, oh, my God. Like when I saw him, and he was doing all – this was solo I saw HR. So he was doing all like his uh, dub stuff and his reggae and, you know, not not the fast side of Bad Brains. You know, definitely not doing that stuff. And it was still really good. You know, it was really chill and everything, but it's like uh, that's still HR up there. You're like, that's that's – <laughs> like that's the guy like that like when you put on sailing on and that like just the screaming that madman who was singing on that song that's hr in front of you like you're looking right at him so amazing but uh yeah j- like watching watching them back in the day is another one and uh you know i mean if you're if you're looking for documentaries i'm already telling you go check out these three decline if you've never seen them and if you have go watch them again because you probably haven't watched them in years or maybe even got the box set when it came out a few years ago but uh, whatever, it's always worth going and watching again. But another one to go watch, you know, speaking of punk rock and uh, Bad Brains, is the HR documentary that came out a few years ago, Finding Joseph, which uh, is really, really good. And I, I want to say, I forget what he was, I think maybe executive producer, but Jay Moore, the comedian, actually has part to do with it. It was funny because I was watching it, his name popped up in the opening credits, and I'm like, is that the same Jay Moore? Like, I'm like, it's spelled the same stuff. And then all of a sudden he comes on, for uh, he's only on screen for like I don't know maybe 20 seconds you know just an interview segment talking about Bad Brains I had no clue he was a fan which uh, is really cool but uh, yeah like I don't know if he financially backed it or what but he was like the executive producer of it and really really good documentary which talks about that in uh, HR because if you have seen him in recent years I mean the the chillness and the laid back but also there's been times where like he's been on stage he doesn't really sing and he kind of there's times where he just doesn't seem like he's there. And uh, the, that documentary gets on that. It, it talks about things I never knew about HR, just a lot of, uh, a lot of just mental uh, things that HR has went through and still goes through and, you know, finding out that he was schizophrenic and everything and just really explaining kind of why, why a lot of things have, uh, you know, kind of have went the way they are. But it's, it's an amazing documentary. And, I mean, once again, it's like you talk about – like with all that stuff aside, you're you're still looking at a legend. Like I mean, like fuck, he was the front man of Bad Brains. Like watching those old f- like footage of him, like at CBGBs, and he's wearing like a suit. Like he's on stage wearing a suit, like fucking doing backflips, just screaming into the mic, just like like just going so ape shit in just a way that you never saw anyone else do. You know, like absolutely amazing. And it really does like like that's that's why I liked watching that decline. The first decline is, you know, yeah, you see the dumbassery of some of the people and you you see the uh, unflattering sides of what was going on back then. But you also see like why it was so important and the energy like that's such a big thing, too. Not that not that uh, which Bad Brains is a bad example because they were actually all virtuosos before before they started. They all like were rooted in jazz before uh, doing Bad Brains. So, I mean, they're all actually good uh, musicians. But I mean, in uh, the decline, I mean, there's so many bands in there where like you're talking to them. It's like, yeah, they're not classically trained. They're not particularly great. You know, it's even some of them. It's even up for debate if what they're doing is uh, considered playing their their uh, instrument. But it's the energy. 
that's what it is. You know, it's the it's the energy that's in that that makes you go. That's why it's so good. It's not because these guys are like ripping soul. You know, like l- listen to to Black Flag, like you know, which and Greg Ginn has a great like he's very interesting guitar player, but it's like you know he's not he's not doing anything all that nuts. Like you're not listening to Black Flag for guitar solos and stuff. And really when they got more self-indulgent and did some of that stuff, that's the stuff people aren't really into. You know, people like Black Flag when it's like a mid in 30 songs and it's fast and aggressive and it's all, you know, fucking power chords and stuff. And, uh, you know, that's something I think you really saw in the first one with a lot of those bands where you're like, you know, it's not that they were amazing musicians. It's that they there was an energy to them, you know. There's, there's just an absolute energy. I mean, kind of going back to X, like, you know, I, I'm listening to uh, – you know, their Los Angeles record. And you're like, it's not, you know, Xene isn't like the greatest singer you've ever heard, but her phrasing and, you know, the attitude in her voice and the way she's delivering those lines and the cadence is what makes it like, that's where you go. Like, that's why this is so damn good. Now, uh, now once again, that's another one, Billy Zoom, amazing guitar player, but uh, you know, and, and all of them are good musicians, but once again, that unconventional, this isn't, we're not crooners, you know, we're, we're not, we're not Frank Sinatra. We're not like whatever famous big, you know, we're, we're not like this crazy, you know, whatever your favorite drummer is. We're not this classically trained band. That's not, that's not why people like them. That that's not the reason you listen to them for that. It, it's the energy. It's because the songs are good. You know, it's because it makes you feel something. And, uh, you know, I think they definitely capture that in the first decline. And also just why I, I think there's so many bands from that era, why even afterwards, like just watching, you know, old CBGB's footage of, you know, tons of bands who really, I mean, that, and those are East Coast bands. Those weren't even bands featured in uh, the first decline, but just really reminding you why punk rock was so good and so fun back then, you know, and like, and I don't know, you know, I would, like I said, I was born in 92. By the time I've gone into all this stuff, so many of these records were already 20, 30 years old. By the time I heard them, you know, a lot of these bands have been broken up reunited you know some of them you know are dead a lot of the members you know the bands like dead and stuff but it's like to look back and be like wow like remember a time when punk was dangerous and when it was also new you know when it wasn't a thing that has went through all these uh you know iterations or you know that that was even before a time where you talked about like is punk dead you know what i mean like in 1981 it's like it's not even at that time now where now people always like is punk rock dead or is rock still alive it's like that was even before all that and, uh, you know, just such a great, like, snapshot of a moment in time, you know, just absolutely. And, uh, you know, Penelope, Penelope Spheres just did a fucking amazing job. And it, it was so cool to see those. Like I said, I've been waiting to see those films for like 15 years now. So to finally watch them, I thought it was well worth coming on here and uh, just kind of talking about my opinion of them. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the similarities and the differences, because there are I, I think at the end of the day, like there are differences. But at the same time, a big message of all three of those films are showing you the youth of uh, not the youth of today at this point, the, the youth of yesterday. But, uh, you know, the, the youth at that time, why they the way why they were the way they were, you know, why they were infatuated with that youth culture, which are, and all of it stems from too just pissing off your parents. I mean, I think most of them would tell you that, too, like, you know they're there and they're dressing that way and saying that shit because it pisses off their parents. And, uh, but you know, to see it at such a, to see it in such a early time and to see it firsthand too, you know, it's not like they did these films years after the fact. And it's like, you know, a bunch of old dudes like reminiscing about that time. No, this was them then, you know, this isn't, this isn't a band doing a documentary 
about the early 80s in Los Angeles. This was a documentary about hardcore punk in the early 80s in Los Angeles as it's happening, you know, so well worth checking out, you know, and does get it does get regarded. I mean, it has that cult classic, you know, following, but it's like even at that point, I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves. I mean, it's really a just such a great document of something, you know, just really including a time now where there's just so many documentaries on everything you can think of that the fact that she had the foresight to do this at that time, like, like now there's probably 50 jackoffs who have made a documentary on black flag, you know, who have, who've never talked to any of them, just unauthorized documentaries about their career in that time. And, uh, you know, who probably weren't even there, but you know what, forget that. You don't want to see that. You want to actually see Ron Ray's as a, as you know, a young kid, like talking to the camera and like showing where he sleeps at night, you know, like that's amazing. So, so cool to have that, you know, so cool to have those out there. And it's cool that they're finally out there to, uh, to see another one too. I mean, totally to- or for the most part, I feel like, but I, I, I know a lot of punks who like Tom Waits as well, but, uh, Tom Waits, the big time, which also came out in the eighties, which has been out of print for decades. Um, that, that also digitally just got, that's on Amazon prime right now too. I don't know how long it'll be up there, but, uh, well worth checking out. I'm sure other digital places too, but that's another one where unless you found like a bootleg online, um, that thing got released on, I believe Laserdisc and VHS back in whenever it came out, the, the mid to late eighties. So like, unless you had that, like this is the first time in decades, it's actually been properly released and uh, very cool. It's, it's not. I like Tom Waits and all his eras. I can pick out songs that I like from, but like my favorite era is early Tom Waits, like seventies. I'd say like from B well, really maybe like the third record up to like rain dogs is my favorite. Um, you know, after that still great songs, there's great songs all throughout there, but I feel like his best records front to back were really when he was, was really just heavily influenced by like Kerouac and Bukowski and really just kind of doing the whole beat poetry to a music thing, but still very cool. Like the theatrics and stuff of the big time uh, film, well worth. If you're if you're a Tom Waits fan, it's one of those things where like the decline. I bet I watch that more in the future. Whereas uh, the big time I watch and I'm like, well, it's it's like worth uh, checking out. But it's like I mean I'm probably not gonna probably not gonna jump it. You know, watching it a second time like a week later or anything like that. But still cool if you've never seen it. It is uh, cool to see some of these old documentaries kind of see the light of day because those are a lot cooler too once again where they're actually they're done at that time you know not not later on where it's like we're just reminiscing about how cool it was it's like this was as it was happening in real time you know so so very cool but that is going to be the episode i just wanted to come on here and uh you know talk about decline and just how fucking good that old school punk rock is you know and punk is still great but i uh i get that way sometimes and i'll, I'll get in i'll get in those moods where it just reminds me why I love the genre to begin with, where I go back and I do listen to like, you know, Circle Jerks Group Sex or, you know, Black Flags Damage or, uh, you know, I mean, just going back to like the Ramones, the Sex Pistols or just any any of that stuff. Like all the all the first, you know, like the first 10 years of punk rock, if you will, and, uh, and maybe even more like the first five. But it's like all those bands, West Coast, East Coast, UK, like. Just and then like, you know, even like Midwest with, uh, you know, like the Dead Boys, um, just such a special time. You know what I mean? Like what a special era and, you know, scene and just it's changed so much. I don't I don't think the punk that we knew back then uh, still exists. 
Just because I, I think anything, it, it's the same way where if you tell me you're a hippie in 2020, I just, I don't know. It's this, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I love punk music, but there's even people who sometimes still dress like they're going to a Black Flag show in 1981. And I'm not even talking about, like, old dudes. I'm talking about, like, 20-year-olds who, like, are dressing like that shit now. And it's like, it's cool to a point, but it, but if you're trying to tell me that, like, you're the real deal or like I'm living, I'm, I'm like, I don't know that you are like, that was a time and place. The same with that where it's like calling yourself a hippie in 2020 seems odd to me. Like in, in 1968, maybe you were a hippie, but I don't know that whatever, whatever would resemble a hippie now is not what it would resemble, you know, 50 something years ago. And the same thing with punk, in my opinion, I think, I mean, punk exists, obviously there's punks out there. You know, I, I love the music. I have no I'm not a, uh, I have no piercings or tattoos. I've never been that person who like, or have like a studded leather jacket or anything like that. Like I love the music, but I've never really, uh, I wouldn't say I dress that part um, in that sense. And uh, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where I look at it. Like sometimes you see people now, it's the same thing where I'm like, I get, I get you're into those bands. Like, look at dude, I love, I love all those bands that you love as well. But I'm like, I don't know. Now it just does seem theatrical, like to dress that way. I'm like at that time, even though some of it was silly and they were kids, it's like they still were standing for something. You know, it, it was uh, it was just a different time, and I, I think it's evolved. Obviously, there's still music, punk music, and there's punk. I mean, you know, like look, I mean, there's bands like The Damned who are still around. You know, from that original era, and uh, you know, so I mean, they still exist and stuff. I just don't think it exists in the capacity that it uh, did or uh, holds the meaning that maybe it once did. But either way, we still have all that great old music and still tons of great new music influenced by it. So, you know, I'm happy we have it. I'm happy we have uh, documents of it. So I just wanted to talk about that. And, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for shit to do this week, go uh, go watch those four. You got documentaries. You got Decline, Western Civilization 1, 2, and 3. And go check out the HR doc, Finding Joseph. Well worth checking out. And uh, also, speaking of bad brains, I did want to bring up on here very, very sad um, happened about mm, like a week and a half ago, but uh, original. Speaking of HR, the original Bad Brains singer pre HR before they were even really Brad Brains, and they're still playing. Uh, they're still playing jazz. Was uh, original singer Sidney McRae. He sadly did just pass away um, back on like September, like I think tenth or eleventh. So yeah, we're we're talking just like a week or so ago. But uh, there is a GoFundMe up right now for burial assistance. You know, he uh, he's also credited for exposing the rest of Bad Brains to punk rock. So he may not have been like the guy who you hear on those punk records. But let me tell you, this was the man that we have to thank for those guys hearing the Sex Pistols and the Dead Boys and the Ramones. Like, this is the dude. So, you know, if, if you can, if you can afford it right now, pay your respects and, uh, you know, on GoFundMe, help uh, bury a true legend and uh, help out Sydney McRae's family with all that. I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, description so you can also just go do that. But rest in peace to uh, someone who, definite legend, and definitely someone we have to thank for uh, a bunch of other legends as well, really. Because, I mean, goddamn, I mean, Bad Brains, I mean, that that one's not new. I kind of, after watching The Decline, I mean, like, X, kind of, I have been more into X lately. But, I mean, Bad Brains, I, I've, uh, I mean, I've been listening to them nonstop for, like, the last 10 years now. Um, which still is like no like when you think about it like you think of like when the first record got released it's like I've only been listening for like a decade but uh, you know I still discovered when I was like 17 but like you just listen to that and it's just like goddamn they are really one of the greatest of that era probably because once again they were guys who are actually like we're actually like seasoned musicians it's kind of the same thing with fear fear uh, 
Like, if you listen to their drummer spit sticks, it's insane what he's playing on there. Like, and I never really thought of it until I think it was Josh Freeze pointed it out, who, uh, you know, you want to talk about good drummers. I think that guy knows a good drummer when he uh, sees one. And just talking about some of the stuff on on the record, their first one, and, and like, I'd known those songs, but I go back and I listen again, I'm like, oh my God, like, he's right. Like, you know, I mean, weird time signatures, just like odd tempos, odd rhythms, like that dude that dude is not just like a punk rock drummer. Like he's not just some guy who started playing drums because his friends need a drummer. Like that guy knows what he's doing. And uh, the rest of them as well too. You know, all of them were uh, just really good musicians. You go back and listen to Fear and you're like, holy shit, like they're doing some stuff in there that really no other band was doing at all. And uh, same thing with Bad Brains, you know, just stuff in there. You know, same with the reggae stuff. You know, even on like the first record, you have these like, thrashing just fast numbers that they're just burning through and then they slow down a little you know and you get like the reggae in there so which is also just equally good like just they're just as good as that too like like you're not even mad it's not even a thing where you're like you don't like that the band kind of has two sides to them you're like oh they're really good at both sides so i'm just happy to hear anything the bad brains play but uh yeah just just so good so many good bands from that uh early era just and, and circle jerks. I like I uh, I've liked circle jerks for a while, but they're another one I've been listening to a uh, group sex a lot lately, which is very easy because that whole album is like 16 minutes long. So uh, like you you I can listen to it from like the drive from my house to the studio to come do this. I can listen to uh, just about that entire record, and those are really the best records that are that like like you have a whole album and it's less than 20 minutes. Like it, like if I ordered a pizza it would probably take longer for that pizza to get here than it would to listen to the entire record. I could probably listen to it two times. And uh, that's the sign, my friends, of a good record. But that is it. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. I had fun just uh, sitting here talking punk rock with you. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to stay connected with the show, we're all over online. We're at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on YouTube. Shout out to you if you're listening to this there right now because I'm uh, I'm not great at plugging that. Uh, you know, I, I do mention it on here. But I always forget to remind people, like, yeah, you can listen to the podcast on uh, our YouTube page. And also tons of pre-podcast interviews on there with a, a bunch of bands. You know, I, I try to do throwback episodes on here, and I have with some of the bigger bands. But uh, there, there's a lot of older interviews I just haven't gotten around to putting on or just kind of smaller artists that were more, like, time-sensitive. Um, but well worth checking out. You may even find bands you've never heard before. You might go listen to our uh, old interviews and become a fan of them. So, you know, go go through our YouTube page. You'll find shit you've never heard on here. But, uh, yeah, we're all over there. We're on Spotify, which, once again, maybe you're listening to us on there. Oh, a big one, actually. You can now hear us on the Amazon Music app, and I believe maybe Amazon.com as well. I don't know if it's just on the app. But if you go on the Amazon Music app, like you're going to listen to music, we're just on there now, um, as well as other podcasts. So you can just search Power Chord Hour, and you'll find us. We'll pop up. All, all the episodes are on there, which uh, I like because I do use my Amazon Prime account to uh, listen to music on there. Um, I don't, I don't have prime music, which fuck them for doing that because <laughs> as I, as I say, Amazon, you can now listen to that. But, um, you know, I, I don't know, like four or five years ago before they had Amazon music and it was just Amazon prime music. And it was all the albums that came with your prime subscription. There was like, it was insane what you had on there. Like I didn't get why people had Spotify. I'm like, dude, like Amazon prime music, like if you download that app, you can stream like all these records. And then a few years later, they had to get the subscription thing. And uh, they still have a bunch of good albums on there, but not to the point they once did. Now a lot of them are behind that paywall. 
But uh, either either way, we're not behind the paywall. You can listen to us spanking free. Um, <laughs> I don't know what spanking free means, but you can listen to us spanking free. And uh, and yeah, uh, you know that's a new place to listen to us. So uh, yeah, shout out to Amazon Music for putting podcasts on there. I'm I'm stoked. I mean, any any place to put this is cool because it just means more uh, you know more chances for ears to hear this and uh, hopefully enjoy what they're hearing. But uh, yeah, so there's that. Hit me up, powercord at gmail.com. You know, lots of lots of shit to talk about. Like I mentioned way earlier on in the show, like an hour and a half ago. Um, you know, if you if you come from a smaller place like me, where like you you know going to shows, you gotta travel for. It. Like I'd love to I'd love to hear from you. Like, do you do the same thing? It's like you know you kind of plan it out. It's like you know you go hit up record stores beforehand. You have like you know you go hit up like the restaurants or bars or whatever in those areas. You know, I'd like to I like to hear from other people because uh, you, you do you do realize like even though I was like the only one of my friends who would do that, and uh, I didn't have cool ass friends who would want to go do those go do those things with me. Like, did it sound interesting to them to go drive like three hours to see a uh, punk show? But uh, you know, I know there's a lot of other people who are into that, and I'd love to hear from you. So hit me up. Uh, we're actually out of stickers. I know this is normally where I'm like, yo, hit me up for free stickers. We're out of them. I'll probably order some more sometime soon because uh, I can't believe it. we went through 250 of those. I got them back in like June. And uh, yeah, in like four months, we've gotten rid of 250 stickers. So shout out to everyone who's hit us up. And uh, I'll probably get some more. But until then, I do have a guitar pick. So hit me up, powercordhourgmail.com. I'll send you some. And if you'd like a t-shirt, we do have Power Chord Hour t-shirts. I'll send you one of those for free. But uh, those... All you got to do, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, or I'll, I'll give you a shirt. It's a better, uh, I guess, a better way of putting it. Scratch my back, and I'll give you a free shirt. Rate and review the uh, podcast on iTunes, and uh, just screenshot it. Just send it to me somewhere, whether it's email or on social media. Just send me a little screenshot that you uh, rated and reviewed us, and I'll send you a T-shirt, and I'll throw some pics in there and uh, give you a big old thank you. But yeah, that is uh, all she wrote. And you know, I mean, since we are talking a bunch of punk rock on here, and uh, he was not actually in the decline of Western civilization, but I mean, goddamn, he was one of the first ones to uh, really start punk rock. And uh, Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols, drummer of the Sex Pistols, also played drums with, I mean, Johnny Thunders on a lot of his solo stuff. And uh, Iggy Pop, I think, too. I almost want to say Paul Cook played on some solo Iggy Pop records. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But a lot of those a lot of those guys did play on things you'd never... Like, I was talking about Walter Lure of the Heartbreakers, who sadly passed away um, a few weeks ago, which, I mean, rest in peace to a legend. But a lot of people don't know, he played lead guitar on three Ramones records in the 80s. You know, like, things like that where you don't realize. You know, or same with the Heartbreakers, or like Chinese Rocks, D.D. Ramone wrote, and Richard Hell also has a credit on... Because he wrote, I forget which line it was, but I think he literally wrote one line of Chinese rocks. So uh, he also gets a little credit there. But, you know, how that was a Ramon song and then covered by, really actually not covered by them. It was uh, written by D.D. Ramon. The Ramones didn't want to didn't want to do it because it was about drugs. Then it went to the Heartbreakers. Then it got big where the Heartbreakers are also kind of being like, yo, it's our song and kind of not giving, I think, uh, them credit. So then the Ramones were kind of like, nah, fuck that. We're going to record it. And then they, you know, they did it. And I mean, it's kind of a cover, but is it a cover? Because D.D. Ramone wrote it and originally was going to use it for the Ramones. And just all that like back stuff. But uh, anyways, Paul Cook, I interviewed him a few years ago. I had the uh, chance when the professionals got back together and put out a record. And uh, he was just doing a little press. Just got to do a nice little short interview with him. But hey, I got to talk to a living legend. I mean, that that is still probably one of the most nervous uh Injuries I've ever had. I was just so goddamn nervous. Like that's the drummer of the Sex Pistols. Like that's like that's 
that's it. Like, you know, you get you if you get to the beginning of punk rock in like it's for me, it's like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. You know, there's like the precursors, then you get into all that. But I mean, as far as original punk rockers, I mean, you know, for the UK, the Sex Pistols, for you know, America, you got the Ramones. And uh and I've also interviewed a Ramon, which is also so goddamn cool. But uh that Paul Cook one, I think I will put that up for a throwback episode later this week. So so, I mean, if you want to hear me talk to the man who, uh, you know, played drums on God Save the Queen and Anarchy in the UK and uh, all that rad shit, um, you know, listen to that on Thursday. I'll put that up. But, uh, yeah, so that'll be that for this week. Thank you so much. And, obviously, the radio show every Friday night now for two hours, 10 Eastern to midnight, 7 to 9 um, Pacific Standard Time. And that one is on 107.9 WRFA here in Jamestown, New York, where I'm uh, currently recording this in the WRFA studios. But as every Friday night, you can hear me play a bunch of music. And uh, actually, this week, I'm going to play, I think, I may, I, I'm i not sure if I'm going to play 70s too. I probably will. I feel like that's fair game. But I'm probably going to play all old school punk for two hours this week. It's kind of celebrate this episode and uh, just those early days of punk rock, like, because I got to throw in, you know, like that, like, if, I'm, if I want to play, like, the Sex Pistols or, like, some of the really early Bad Brains and Ramones, you know, we're getting into uh, late 70s there. So it won't be all 80s, but I'll do 70s, 80s punk rock. Just all the bands I've been talking about tonight, just playing them for two hours on a Friday and just talking about punk rock and all that. So, uh, you know, there, there's some fun stuff later this week. You know, if this isn't enough for you, we'll have that throwback episode on here on Thursday. And if you want to check out the radio show Friday night, play a bunch of punk for you. But that's going to be the episode. Thank you so much. And for the Power Chord Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.